0: Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Moor Valley Farmers. Today, nutritionist Dr Robin Hawkey and agronomist Lisa Hamley explain how a silage management plan can help farmers make the most of the valuable crop and provide some top tips on maximising yields and reducing losses this year. Here's what's coming.
1: Most foragers, you know, I'd like to think there's a sweet spot somewhere between not much wetter than 25% and not much drier than 35%. But again, every year is different and it's very easy talking, but when you come to actually doing it and watching the weather forecast, it's, it is it, it is easier said than done, that is for sure.
2: The soils are fairly warm actually, um, surprisingly. They've been warming up nicely. The grass is actually really growing. Um, so we've got a good opportunity to get some good grass cut this spring. So
1: understanding that there's adequate sugars in the silage for adequate fermentation, because that's what drives the bugs, which makes the silage. And also having low enough nitrate, which obviously directly relates to your fertiliser planning and application.
0: So welcome again to the Mole Valley podcast. Robin Hawkey and Lisa Hamley, two voices we've had on the podcast before. But let's just have a couple of introductions. Let's start with you, first of all. Robin, just tell us a little bit about yourselves and your role at Mole Valley.
1: Yes. Hi, uh, Robin Hawkey. I'm a senior nutritionist with Mole Valley. And I'm very much involved with practical on-farm nutrition, but also alongside Lisa, part of our national technical team, and have a particular interest in forage and all things silage and grazing. And as you know, with with the ruminant nutrition we do, getting the forage, the silage, the grazing bit of the ration right is so important. So I think this is why this is a very important podcast, because it could set the scene for most of next winter.
0: Absolutely. That's the case, Robin. And for you, Lisa?
2: So Lisa Hambley, Head of Grassland and Forage Agronomy, and obviously key to um, looking at all forage crops. But this time of year, grassland is the big topic. And yeah, it's really absolutely fantastic to be working with Robin, well, Dr. Robin Hawkey, actually. So I should get him correct, um, because, you know, um, we can be out in the field. Um looking at these crops thinking they're fantastic, but, um, you know, the most important bit is that it's been fed to, fed to animals. So having that tie-in is, is it, it well, yeah, it's exceptional.
0: The podcast is called Silage for Success. So, Lisa, just give us a,
2: a brief rundown. What is it we're going to
0: be talking about in this conversation today?
2: Okay, so, yeah, so from my side of things, it's the practical stuff, I suppose, that people can work on to, um, you know, have the best results from their silage. Like I said, you know, from an agronomic point of view, looking at the grass, looking at the quality, um, and some of the, you know, practical side of um, cutting, tedding, um, getting in the clamp, um, and then, um, you know, Robin will obviously go through the um, the side of um, how what that means to uh, from a nutrition point of view.
1: Yeah. So, what can we expect to hear from you then, Robin? Well, I think if I could almost go back a step. Um, I think one of the key things that many farmers miss, and you know, as nutritionists, we also need to focus on more, is at this time of year thinking what was good and bad about last winter's feeding, in particular, and if last year's silage, you know, we did something well, not so well, and what we can do to plan. So whether it's in terms of um, sort of two, three areas, I suggest. I mean, obviously the quantity of silage. You know, did you run short of silage last year? Well, if so, you might want to make a bit more this year, kind of thing. Um, many farmers grow maize silage as well as grass silage and you know at least a lot of maize silage will be planted in the next few weeks Um, you know are you putting more or less acres of maize silage in so how many acres of grass silage do you need to do and I think that has quite a, a, a simple approach on that front and then in terms of the quality of last year's silage again was it too wet too dry, chopped too short chopped too long and I think there's an awful lot of just maybe reflecting the next couple of weeks about the last winter And how might that influence you in doing things different? And one of the old adages is, um, you know, failing the plan is planning to fail.
0: Yeah, very much so, uh, Robin. So, Lisa, let's kick us off then. For farmers who are, as Robin says, about to sort of embark upon this journey, what's the kind of takeaway message for them at this point in the the season? What should they be looking at?
2: Well, I mean, people are being, um, you know, have different requirements for their silage you know so some people are be looking for high quality um and obviously you know um enough quantity for next year but then some other some others might be just looking for more bulk um robin are going to more of that so it is about knowing what you hope to achieve um as we said you know um in some areas uh so forage stocks are, are very short so um Looking at um, quantity, so, you know, getting out in those fields really and, and having a, a walk round before you're cutting your silage to sort of get a little bit of a guesstimate of how much you're going to be achieving from first cut. Because, you know, as the weeks creep up, we've we've been pushed back by this rain and and these challenging conditions. Um, so there's going to become a lot of jobs uh, in a very quick, uh, you know, space of, space of time. Um, so if fields do need to be reseeded, overseeded, or increasing yield, then we need to really be planning it now, while the soils maybe are still a little bit wet. Because so once we start silaging, there's there's not going to be a lot of time for um for planning. Um. So yes, that's from my point of view.
1: I think the timing is really quite good today, Lisa, because I was on farm this morning, and the farmer yet, you know hundreds of acres of maize silage to go on quite a big farm. And he could just see it all coming together because because the wet weather had held things up, and he, you know, he, and and it was a farm where we did actually have a potential. He fully accepts size wasn't as good last year. He know he knows he needs to go that bit earlier this year, and the one year he wanted to have a maybe a bit of a window of opportunity, as they say, um, you know, it would probably it is probably going to clash with you know drilling May silage. so I think you know <laughs> planning in the next few weeks is going to be quite important in um, just workload and contractors and all of that kind of thing
2: it's prioritizing it isn't it you know and sometimes people are put off the um grass silage to get the maze in um or or the other way round and it is a, it is a difficult one but i think um Quality, I don't know, you know, again, if if Robin agrees, but quality is key, and, and it can cost quite a lot if you get it wrong. I know you did some some work on that, Robin.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we did. We we again, based on the particular farmer, but sort of anonymized for obvious reasons. Um, but we felt we were about two litres a cow a day down the last winter, and if you put that on sort of a, a standard hundred cow unit as a entity that, that you can you know re- relate to, and over the hundred over the hundred eighty day winter, six months. I mean, we're taking the milk price at 50p at the time. I know it was eased back from that now, but where we were last winter, it was 50p. And that was worth about 18 grand. We then went on to a much sort of um, um, sort pokey of, uh, pokier cake, higher specification dairy feeds to help counteract the lack of silage quality. And that was costing the best part of 30 pounds a tonne extra. So you've got significant costs. And then the farmer was also quite concerned that because the silage wasn't as good last winter, the cows' fertility was also reduced. You know, you talk about an increase in calving index of every day lost is £5 a cow a day. And this farmer thought he lost probably the best part of 10 days' calving index of £50 a cow. And it's all back to silage quality. And really, he did nothing wrong last year other than weather and just circumstances. So, it, so you know, we, we, we came up, you know, with with quite a significant figure of, you know, sort of getting into t- tens of thousands of pounds of lost income due to the silage not being correct. And I think people forget, you know, probably the cost of all oh, the fertiliser leases coming back, isn't it? But where it has been, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, people are talking, uh, you know, um, a cost of silage is £50 pounds a ton to make, say, as a very generalised figure. Well, that's £50,000 investment. Well you know silage is a cheap feed but it's not a free feed
2: yeah i mean it costs as much to you know from a from a fuel from a tractors from you know manpower uh, to make a poorer quality silage than it does a, a good quality silage so um you know having a having you know that thought process about what do we want to achieve um can really focus the mind and um you know, one of the ways that I've been I've been helping uh, is to you know the that fertilizer plan. So looking at that and seeing how much you know we're aiming to gain yield wise, what sort of quality you're looking at because that affects how much fertilizer you need. So what quality you're looking at, um, and then taking into account the slurry that we've got on farm. So you know we've tested slurry, we've made sure we've been as accurate as possible in the nutrition that we're giving to the to the grass crops um and then in the last you know a couple of weeks been going out and just testing testing my results and seeing if you know we've been accurate with that fertilizer prediction and we're aiming you know we're heading towards weather, fingers crossed for everything on the weather but you know we're getting to that date that we planned so it is about thinking what do I want to achieve, and then working back as how you can achieve it. Um, there is always going to be the weather, you know, considerations. But if we don't do anything, then for sure we're, you know, we're going to be ending up in the same position as we did last year. We don't know whether it's going to be a dry summer, um, but we do know that, you know, with the with the, you know, the water that we've had recently, um, and the soils are fairly warm. Actually, um, surprisingly, they've been warming up nicely. The grass is actually really growing um so we've got a good opportunity to get some good grass cut this spring and
1: i think something we need to do least in relation to the fertilizer is you know uh, many people will test the silage but actually the pre-cutting testing of the grass so to actually understand what's going into the pit so there's some of the key parameters maybe things like dry matter but that's largely down to the weather Lisa as you say and you know, you know more value, we can control most things, but the weather is just pushing our luck. Okay. But but I think in terms of a couple of things, you know, understanding that there's adequate sugars in the silage for adequate fermentation, because that's what drives the bugs, which makes the silage, and also having low enough nitrate, which obviously directly relates, Lisa, to your fertiliser planning and application, um, because, you know, too high a nitrate, or even higher than optimal, you know, will reduce the efficiency of the fermentation process. Um, and, 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 and so as of the sort of especially the Arla sustainability initiative at the moment feed efficiency is so important and part of that is protein efficiency and fertiliser efficiency so we've got to make sure that we are hitting all those key parameters and so adequate sugars and making sure the nitrates are low and it, it, it's an easy test it's a free test you know at more value we can do them as, as, as part of the service You set them off today providing you catch the post at a reasonable time you get the results back tomorrow um, and, it, it and it, you know, you can't do every blade of grass in every field, but it can give you a, a very good indicator of where things are going. And if you can test, you know, maybe once or twice a week for those two to three weeks getting up to cutting, it'll give you a good indication of at least a trend of where things are going. So I think that's, you know, really worthwhile doing and it just gives you a feel of where things are.
2: Yeah, I've been doing some, Robin, and it's massively valuable and I can really see... You know where we've been spot on with our fertilizer regime. Where you've got new lays compared to older ones, the quality difference in them. So yeah, I find I find that you know massively um, beneficial. I'd say, it is it is free and also gives us a good picture of where our customers, like you're saying, for for next winter already. And it's and it's you know beginning of April more or less. Um, so yeah, so that's. So that's you know a good a good test to see um how how well we're doing or what the potential is um and then of course you know you're you're heading towards your cutting date so making sure that um you know if you've got a contractor they're all on board they know that you're wanting to cut and you're ready to go um they they love that contractors if you can give them a good idea because then they know you know where you are in in the in the order of things. Um so yeah, contact get your contractor, make sure and you know you've got all your sheeting and your sidage clamps cleaned out. Um, because, you know, residual um bacteria, etc. from last year, you know, is a it's a pickling process. So we want the best possible opportunity for, for that to for that to go well. Um and like I say, it depends on what the weather's gonna be like, but dry matter will be important. I mean, Robin, what what are you going what what's your ideal
1: I think a big thing the with, with it comes about a couple of things in terms of both dry matter and chop length, which are a couple of things you can somewhat determine by the um, by the operations, I suppose, and talking to your contractor. And that's maybe we'll come back to talking to the contractor and the tractor drivers in the second lease because I think you know there's a lot that can be gained from there. But it all depends. So, for instance, considering the ratio of grass silage to maize silage, God willing and the weather permitting, and everything else you know, would you want to make slightly wetter silage, slightly drier silage, and at least having a plan. So if you've got quite, you know, planning on quite dry may silage in the autumn, you might want to purposely make your may silage slightly wetter or vice versa. And if you're just feeding grass silage, then you might want slightly wetter silage. So I think having at least a target dry matter you can work for. And I do think that um, in the planning, often recently, we, we do what drier silages Sodages have been overwilted, and with the mower conditioners and the technology of tedding, and you know, very very effective now. You know, I've seen figures that quite often you can get to twenty-eight to thirty percent dry matter on a decent day within eight hours. So if the if the grass is spread effectively and spread effectively quickly after cutting, because the pores are still open, so the the, 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 the moisture can be lost from the plant very readily. Um, whereas if that crop is left say 36 hours in the ground, you're getting up to maybe 35, 40 percent dry matter which may be too dry for you.
0: More Valley Farmers is owned by farmers and proud to trade with a cooperative ethos. Our shareholders are at the heart of everything we do, and we work with them to improve productivity, profitability, and sustainability. Being a farmer shareholder brings many great benefits you automatically earn loyalty points on essential farm inputs, including compound feeds, blends, minerals, fertiliser, and new for 2023, selected total crop performance products and milk replacers. The loyalty points bonus scheme earned farmer shareholders nearly £300,000 in the last year, on top of over £740,000 secured by farmer shareholders through our retail discounts. You'll also get other exclusive farmer-shareholder offers through the year. The Mole Valley Farmers newsletter posted to your door each month and, as a shareholder, you get voting rights at the annual AGM and have a say in your business. We have a farmer-shareholder-first approach at Mole Valley Farmers and we believe by working together, we are stronger together. For more information and to join us as a farmer-shareholder, visit moleonline.com slash farmer-shareholder. Mole Valley Farmers. Committed to UK agriculture.
1: So I think that's the first thing, is planning a, an approximate target dry matter and understanding it can wilt very, very quickly. And the second thing you consider is the chop length. Because, in, in, because A, the chop length, for what chop length do you want for the mixed ration in the winter? How are you going to feed it? Does your mixer wagon have knives or not? Which, which, yes or no. But generally speaking, the drier the silage, the shorter the chop length, and that's because you need this consolidation of um, to get the air out for the anaerobic pickling process. Lisa, as as you mentioned, and if you could imagine having sort of like um, sort of something very fluffy or a sponge, and as you try and just squeeze it down, it just springs back up again. Um, so with a drier silage you do need that much much shorter chop length whereas the wetter silage a longer chop length may also help with the silage pits not slipping which has helped which has happened rather in the last last few years so again talking to the chap on the forager and just thinking hang on a minute you know do i want it slightly shorter slightly longer it's it, most modern foragers these days a can detect the dry matter on the forager and they can adjust it on the go quite often. So, it's a simple conversation. No,
2: it's a good, a really good point actually about that, the chop length. And if you've got a lot of new lush, um, new lathes, then you know the chances are that they're going to be um, fairly wet and you know have uh, plenty of moisture content in it. So actually, you know, benefit of a slightly longer chop length could make the difference between slippage or or not. Um, so yeah, that's 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 an important and imp- very important point.
1: Just one warning. I have seen that where silages have come in wetter and the farmers quite as yes, is, I'll chop it slightly longer to stop the slippage. It does mean the trailers actually fill up much more quickly. So you get less tonnage in a trailer. So you might need an extra trailer running to and fro, which I know is a cost, but shorter chop length does fill the trailers better. Longer chop length may not be great for a number of trainers running around, but, you know, compared to getting your ration wrong for next winter, it's not much of an extra cost...
2: I know you're talking about compaction as well, and you know having um, the the right amount of weight going on a, a clamp, and ensuring that you know the contractors want to get it all in and want to get the job done really quickly, especially in this catchy weather. I can imagine them really trying to want to get it in there, but you know making sure that you haven't got too um, you know deep a mattress to try and compact your sponge is not too big um, is also massively important um so the attention to detail at the, at the at the clamp time is is massively important and and to have someone you know keeping an eye on it um and you know not um yeah not taking your eye off the ball at that point can be again a, a massive um saving from dry matter, I know we haven't mentioned silage additive, but you know with catchy weather as well. I mean, to me, everybody needs to have silage additive, but you know, in this catchy weather, there's no guarantees that um, you know we are not going to have a shower of rain on on that grass. And you know, with sugars, I mean, like some of the samples you and you've seen, I mean, the sugars look quite good, don't they, this year, Robin? They look pretty good quality.
1: I mean, a lot of them in double figures are up to ten percent sugars, and that's really where you want to be in summer bins, thirteens and 15s. That's really quite useful, but I think the additive is a very good point because, you know, um, there's different types of additives, to different things, and some additives suit a drier silage, some additives suit a wetter silage, and some and some of the additives that we and other companies do um, have actually got an enzyme in. So if you are taking a slightly light, later cut to have a heavier cut to have the bulk, which could be sort of higher in fibre, then some of the enzymes present can actually help to break down, and and I know historically, going back many years. Some of the enzyme-based additives had a very bad reputation, but I think the technology has moved on hugely in the last few years. So if you are taking consciously a later bigger cut to fill the clamps up and to help stocks, then considering an additive with an enzyme in will help break that fibre down and help the digestion for the animal next winter. So there are different types of additives for wetter, drier, higher fibre silages. Just worth having a chat Um just to consider what's most appropriate for yourself.
2: And we got the obviously got it all in the clamp now. And you know sheeting's a a massive topic, and I wouldn't say I'm the you know the biggest expert in it. But you know what I do know is that for many years, Robin, and you'll know this, that we thought that black plastic was impervious to air. Because why wouldn't it be? It's plastic. But it turns out it is air uh, can get through it. So I think the cling has made a massive difference to um, you know, reducing waste, hasn't it?
1: Well, I think that you know, we talk about the the cost of silage, the cost of fertilizer, the cost of the contractor, the cost of the additives, um, anything to reduce waste and improve feed efficiency for a whole range of reasons it is is important. And I think generally speaking now, you know, I would say is clamps should be waste free, but there shouldn't be very much waste on clamps. As you said, using the cling film type additive um sheets and that kind of thing. It, uh, yeah. it 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 really really should help. Well
2: we're always talking about feed efficiency, aren't we, now, through you know, various different um channels and, you know, Arna being one of them. Um and all these things. I mean sometimes you can see waste can't you? Because you know, it's got mould or spores or, you know, it looks it you know, it's it the top bit needs to be removed, or you can see it. But it's the hidden cost, I think, sometimes of an unstable clamp that you can't see, and it's difficult to um, explain, I suppose, from, a bit of, from my point of view. But I um, mean, Robin, you must see that when you're doing rations.
1: In the, as a nutritionist, um, you sort of get to that point in September, October, the cows are being housed and clamps are open. So you take that first salad sample and you look at the quality, and sometimes your heart just sinks because you think, this is going to be hard work. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I, And I think that's one of the key things. So you've got the obvious things like the energy, protein, and fiber, and that's great. But also, it's, it's the fine detail, the rationing, the balances, the types of carbohydrates and the types of proteins. But as you mentioned, if you do have spores and things like mycotoxins in, in a ration, you, you cannot see mycotoxins. Generally speaking, um, they might might see mold, which may have mycotoxins or not. But considering there's two over 200 types of mycotoxins, and we can test for a number of them, um, but those are the hidden dangers and the costs of getting it wrong. Lisa, as you said. And I think, I think in relation to that, you know, almost relating back to the contractors, you know, I think the the height of mowing and not cutting grass too, too, too short, not only does it prevent regrowth, but then if it's cut for quite short and then there's sort of the tedding and raking procedure and that picks up stones... And increasingly. So what do you think about sort of with the different types of slurry application now and possibly picking up from trading shoes and things? Is is that something we need to be aware of?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think it's changed you. I think probably what we've seen, because you've seen in the signage analysis increase in ash, haven't you? So um I think probably Yeah. We um increased use of silage probably last year, um slurry, sorry, in the silage fields. Um because of price of fertiliser, refer back to that again. And it was so dry last year, you know, it just didn't get absorbed. So I I you know, I was a bit hesitant to take one year's results, I suppose, because every year, you know, it has its challenges. But I think to me that would be what it is. And and, and we we talked about the TED. You know that is one of the again most important jobs on in silaging and you know if you're picking up um dirt into the um into the clamp then that's you know that's always going to have its challenges um so yeah being being accurate on the tedding and and getting it done without contamination is a yeah huge skill um so i think yeah there's two things
1: several times a wind i will actually see stones in the silage so you'll be you'll be you'll be you'll be sampling and on the on the face and you'll come across a stone and you yeah. think well if it's picked up a stone what else has it
2: exactly so I think there's a couple of things going on there, so yeah definitely be mindful of, of that i mean again we can't do much about the weather, but if it is particularly dry, then the amount of slurry going out you know just have a have a think about whether that's the is the best thing to be doing in that situation um so yeah, I was thinking also about um dry matter losses because you know we're looking always looking at dry dry matter yield per hectare and we put in so much in the clamp and then it seems to you know somewhere we're we're losing losing some of that um, and I'm guessing that's just again poorer, poorer, poorer fermentation
1: Yeah I mean uh, there's very bits of work where the dry matter loss has happened and it does relate back to dry matter if you have a wetter silage generally you're talking about effluent losses and losses there, and if it's a too dry silage, two things you get field losses because the the plant effectively becomes too brittle, and the handling of it, it breaks down and there it, is losses. But also, when it's too dry in a clamp, often you get heating, secondary fermentation, and spoilage, production of yeasts and molds when it when it's too dry. So I think you know most forages, you know, I, I like to think there is a sweet spot somewhere between not much wetter than twenty five percent and not much drier than thirty five percent. But again, every year is different, and it's very easy talking, but when you come to actually doing it and watching the weather forecast, it's, it is it, it is easier said than done, that is for sure. Um, but yeah, the losses are, are, are quite significant, and I do think that's where an additive does come into its own. Um, and any reptile additive, you know, one of the key modes of action is it, it, it will reduce dry matter losses and it would improve the nutrient efficiency of your farm. And more of that fertiliser will end up in the bulk tank or in growth of, you know, beef and lamb, if you like what you're selling, Something from of animals. So, yeah, having additives for the cost of everything are relatively at least additives haven't gone up as much as other things, have they?
2: Yeah, I've got them gone up at all, actually. Robin, yeah. well, so the same price. The other thing, actually, which is brought onto a good topic, obviously last year we sold more clovers than we've ever sold before. Fertilizer price also great. You know, it's great. It sets its own nitrogen, it's great for sore health. Love all that. But we're going to be getting a lot more clover in our silages this year. So I wonder from a nutrition point of view, again, you know, obviously it's a good source of protein. Um, is there challenges or ha- or is it just a great thing?
1: Um, I, I find with high protein silages, which could well be clover, um, we need to be very careful that we don't get high levels of ammonia, which then buffers the pH drop. And if you do get a high protein silage that isn't ensiled and preserved Effectively and efficiently, the, the the ammonium nitrogen can affect the fermentation process, and then the silage overall. And you've not cared for what can spoil the silage, but and you can often see like a dark, wet, horrible seam in a in a silage, and you can tell it because it smells horrible, and you know exactly what what you've got.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah,
1: but 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 a but a, a good clover silage made well is excellent. You've obviously got the nitrogen fixation benefits in the in the soil, and you know which is which is well documented. But it really does, um, you know, give you a much higher protein silage, can balance rations better, and I think with the whole feed efficiency, protein efficiency, sustainability direction we're all going in, a higher protein silage means you'll be buying in lower protein concentrates.
2: Yeah, it's a win-win situation.
1: Exactly, win-win situation. Lower cost, more environmentally friendly, um, better carbon footprint. Um, So that's you're absolutely right, Lisa. Um, and I think, you know, the higher clover, you know, products, higher protein have, have got to be the way forward. Mm,
2: yeah. Well, it's another way that I always go that um, agronomists can make the nutritionist look good, you see. So uh, we, we, we walk round in the fields and then we give you something nice to work with and you don't have to go, oh, no, what am I going to do with this? It's our, it's our job to uh, try and make you happy, Robin.
1: yeah' good, good. I'm glad you are, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: you know, amazing things that you have both been discussing. I've just been <laughs> then uh, sitting back, putting my feet up on the table and just listening to you two talk, which is which is great. Um for farmers though who are perhaps thinking, Oh, is it too late to get a plan together? Do I need to consider if I'm planting maize silage out there? Have I got a runoff situation that I had last year because it was so uh, you know, wet at times? Um is it is it too late or is there is there still time to kind of make these adjustments?
2: never too late says this you know if you get go out the best the best thing to do is get in, you know get involved in it so if you think you've got a problem instead of trying to you know brush over it or hope it doesn't happen address it so get in front of it have a chat with have a chat with us you know agronom- from an agronomy point of view if it's a, a nutrition um question then you know our fantastic nutrition team are there to say you know there's nothing better than i like than working with a nutritionist who says right, least we need more better quality, we need more maize, we need more yield, we need this, because I can get really stuck into that. Um, and then, um, you know, we're working with the customer to, or member to, to um, you know, improve how how their business um, efficiency works. So it's de- it's never too late. And there's always things to be done. So after cutting, for example, you know, if we have getting there to first cut, there's weed control. So if you've got a weed high weed burden, then, you know, you can you can get on top of it then. Overseeding. So you can just drive through if soil conditions are right, you can just drive through with more seed. And, you know, by the time you get to your next cut, you can have more yield straight away. So um there's some very good quick fixes. There's some um, clover that's already pelleted. There's amazing solutions that we've got now that perhaps, you know, uh probably even the last five years we've we've come um, you know, a really long way in um methods um and um opportunities to improve forage so um yeah it's never too late
1: and I think with the planning as well Seth you know we're coming up to first cut very rapidly but they're still planning to think about the second and third cuts for later in the season so you do what you can do now for the next couple of three weeks into may as you've uh, uh, as you're doing the silage, but obviously you know obviously plan then for the second and third cuts um, because sometimes they can save the day, um, yeah. and I think that's 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 also quite important. You know, making that good quality second and third cut, uh, or making sure you have the bulk that you know nothing goes hungry. Um, you know, ass- assessing the first cut. You know, was it the yielded as you expect, or were you 100 tons light, or whatever it might be, and you know, you can make adjustments then for subsequent cuts in the summer. So, you know, after cut fertilisers and, you know, the strategy for the rest of the summer, again, is it a wet summer, dry summer, who knows? But, you know, some plan is better than no plan, I would say.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you still get with, you know, a decent amount of grass, you'll still get a a really good return on your investment on fertilizer. Obviously, if you're in a gank situation on your muck that you're putting out there. So, um, it, you know, there there are always opportunities throughout the season. You've just got to be in a position where you're going to be able to take them. And I guess, as much as anything,
0: come to Moor Valley. Speak, speak to us about it because, you know, between the two of you, you're speaking to lots of farmers in lots of different locations. You're hearing the stories and you can see those patterns, can't you, as to what's happening out there. So actually, if a farmer is there thinking, I feel quite isolated, I'm not quite sure what's happening, you know get get on the phone i guess that's the advice isn't it
2: oh absolutely you know and we go to and um, speak to like you say all sorts of different situations so um we're able to give an overview but also um individual you know bespoke advice depending on uh, on the individual business that you know you're talking to so,
1: yeah. and you mentioned seth about um you know information we're consciously testing. Well. Dozens a week of fresh grass samples now, and so we do have a you know idea where trends are going. So, a, you know we can either test anyone's grass or give information on the way the general trends in a given region are going, and that can be very helpful. We generally speaking, I am doing sort of at the moment a fortnightly report, but probably it will go to a weekly report shortly um, of just understanding what's going on. So anyone can receive that if, if if they wish if they wish to have it.
0: And so, do you think the one thing if somebody's going to take something away today, test what you got so far?
1: Yeah, quite important. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And if nothing else. I think the last couple of years that planning and talking to your contractors and your tractor drivers and that that's also pretty fundamental.
2: Yeah, well, say you said the other day, Robin? There was the override lion factor. Um, is well, I said it's just your relationship with your contractor, isn't it as well? So everywhere I go, the best forages. Is- have got the, a good relationship with their contractor, or they're doing it themselves. You know,
1: so Lisa's referring to um, a silage competition I judged some years ago, and the and the chap who won the silage competition. I asked him what he thought the one thing he did better, and I was thinking he was going to say um, fertilizer or additive or reseeding, and he actually said it's the relationship with my contractor because he does such a good job for me. I can talk to him and. You know, lots of just a good, strong relationship and it just made sure that the contractor came back every year and did a good job. So it's, like many things of farming, it's multifaceted, isn't it? And um, it's a bit of a jigsaw. We can get many, many parts of the jigsaw correct.
0: Thanks ever so much for joining us on the Mole Valley podcast today. As ever, if you'd like to keep up to date with everything that's going on with Mole Valley, you can visit moleonline.com. That's moleonline.com. And to make sure you don't miss out on hearing future More Valley podcasts, then please subscribe wherever you're listening today. Thanks again for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.